Welcome to the watermarkoc.church podcast. Thank you for listening. We're in a series in the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18. If you want to open your Bibles, turn on your iPhones. As you promise not to, to text, I'll let you use the iPhones in here. Just teasing. Uh, but uh, we're in this series that comes out of the Old Testament, 1 Kings, and we're looking at the life of an amazing guy in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. His name was Elijah, and he lived a courageous life, and he was a prophet. He was sent to proclaim God's message to God's people in a very difficult time in the history of Israel. And even though he lived thousands and thousands of years ago, and this book was written Uh, thousands and thousands of years ago, his life has so many lessons that are relevant for life today in Orange County, where you live, where you work, where you play. This book is so amazing. It's thousands of years old. It was written by multiple, multiple authors, 66 books, and yet it contains one continuous story of God's love for mankind, a redemptive story, a love story. And I would encourage you to open this book regularly to drink of its wisdom because it has truth that is relevant for your marriage, for your family, for your workplace, for your life today. It is inspired, as we say. It is God-breathed. And it is inspired because God loves you and he wants you to know his heart. And that's why Elijah was sent to Israel because God wanted his people to know that they were not alone. Just like he wants you to know in Orange County through your struggles and your challenges, through your successes and your failures, through your difficulties, through your breakthroughs, you are not alone. There is a God that loves you. There's a God that knows your name. He created you for a purpose. He desires to have intimate relationship with you. He wants to walk with you and to show you meaning and goodness and grace and mercy all the days of your life. And that is why Elijah was sent to the northern kingdom of Israel, to help them understand they were not alone. And Elijah was this incredibly brave guy that was willing to tell the nation, as many times circumstances tell us, and many times people that love us tell us, is that you never feel more alone than when you've bought into the lie of a false god. You're not alone, but you really do feel alone when you've bought the lie of a false god. <laughs> I've been there, let me tell you. I, I've, I've made in my life good things, God things. I've made earthly things, eternal things. And I grew up loving basketball, but basketball became my god. Basketball became my, my, my source of worth, my source of significance, my purpose and reason for being. And when basketball was gone, I felt like I lost my life. When basketball was gone, I went through an identity crisis. I had no purpose. When basketball was gone, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was lost. Nothing wrong with basketball. I loved it. But when it became a God thing in my life... I was asking it to do something it could never do. It became an idol. It became something that was earthly, that I was expecting eternal purpose, significance, salvation from my basketball. And man, I was lost and all alone. I fell into a time of darkness. I needed to be transformed by the true and living God. This is where the nation of Israel was at. 
They had bought into the lie of false gods. They were full and filled with false gods. Just like Orange County is filled with false gods today, right? <laughs> Money, right? Money is the biggest false god in Orange County that you can serve, that you can love, and you can give your life to. Power, success, sex. Sex is this huge false god. When taken outside of the way God intended it, that can totally destroy your soul in Orange County today. There are false gods in Orange County, just like they were back in Israel at the time of Elijah. Israel had become a nation filled with false gods. The nation was divided. If you read the story, Israel was one nation, right? And then there was a civil disrest. And as a result, after Solomon, the nation divided into two. Judah went to the south, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And then there were ten tribes that went to the north. It was called Israel. And these are the ten tribes that Elijah was called to talk to. The nation was divided. It drifted into spiritual darkness. And Ahab was the leader. And he was the worst king ever. As the, the book of First Kings describes him, he was worse than all the kings before him. Even though they were evil kings, he supersized evil. He took it to a whole other level. It's like going from Jesse James to Bonnie and Clyde, right? Because Ahab shacked up with a gal and her name was... Jezebel, right? And she did no good for the nation, right? She led the people into deeper idolatry of the false god Baal or the Baals. They were Canaanite gods. She came from Phoenicia. Her dad worshiped false gods. She was a goddess, a, 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 a prophetess of false gods, and she brought that false uh, worship into Israel. And she led the nation into deeper idolatry. And Elijah came onto the scene because God called him to stand up. God called him to step up. Just like he called Pachi to go down to Mexico and to stand up for the poverty and the injustice and the poor and share the love of God with them. Elijah was called to step up and share with Israel who the true God was. To lead them back to the true God. That was his mission. His name is... His mission, the Lord is God, <laughs> Jehovah is God. Every time you saw Elijah, hey, there goes Jehovah is God. There goes Jehovah is God. That was his name and that was his message to call the people back. But the Bible says he's just a man. He's just a guy. You know, just put, put his pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else. Had his struggles and his challenges, was very human, and yet... When he prayed and trusted in the true God, God used him to do amazing things. And so he prayed, and guess what happened? The water was turned off. The spigot went off, and there was a drought in the land. Why? So that Israel would wake up to know that false god, the false god Baal, who's the god of rain, the god of fertility, the god of success, he's not the true God at all. Elijah was just giving the nation what they wanted. They wanted the false god? You have the false god. He'll never satisfy your soul. He'll never provide. And so the spigot was turned off and Elijah was proclaiming to the nation of Israel, earthly things can never give us ultimate things. Earthly stuff can never give you the stuff that only the true God can give you. And so after three years, Elijah was called to step up to go and confront King Ahab. Ahab was living a lonely, drought-filled life. <laughs> he was having some hard times. I mean, sometimes we look at the White House and go, man, I would never want to be president, right? What a mess. Who wants to be president? Well, guess what? You don't want to be king in Israel after three years of drought. It was not a good, good time, let me tell you. 
After a long time in the third year, Ahab's leadership was limping. His nation was in disarray. His wife was angry at him because he had been searching for Elijah for three years and he couldn't find and kill Elijah because all the prophets of the true God were outlawed in Israel. And so his wife was after him. All his people were crying out because there was drought. Businesses were failing. Cattle were dying. The people were starving. This was a challenging time. And Elijah's, Ahab's leadership was limping and his nation was in disaster. And Elijah shows up after three years. The word of the Lord came to Elijah Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. When, the, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, the troubler? There, there's the troubler. There's the problem. There is the cancer sore in my life. Elijah, you're the troubler of Israel. For three years, God had protected Elijah. If you remember 1 Kings 17, he took him to a brook, Cherith, he gave him water. He fed him through ravens. Then after the brook dried up, he took him to the land of Zarephath. There was a widow there that provided for him. And miraculously, as that widow had provided out of her last meal, God multiplied that meal and provided for Elijah over and over again. And then the widow's son had died, and Elijah performed a miracle. This woman's son was raised from the dead. This is in the past we've been studying this. This was all a time of preparation and protection for Elijah. God was preparing him to stand up and face Ahab and to face the biggest challenge of his life, go in against the false prophets of Baal, a showdown at Mount Carmel. This is the biggest defining moment in his life, but God had prepared him for this moment as he had seen God's provision, and he's heard God's word, as he saw God's miracles. Now it was his time to stand up. He was not alone. When you stand up, God prepares you to stand up. God prepares you for what he has for you. God is with you. You are not alone. Israel's most wanted man was Elijah. This word troubler in the original Hebrew can mean snake or viper. There's the viper. (laughs) There's the snake in the grass of Israel. You know, there's the one who is a pain in my asp. Aspirate that, asp. It's an asp. He is my pain. He is trouble. He is a plague. He is the one, the most wanted man. And this is a great question for us to ask ourselves. Who's the real troubler in our life? Who's the real troubler in Ahab's life? Is it Elijah? Is Elijah the real troubler of Israel? Or is Elijah just the person speaking about the trouble that's in Ahab's heart? Who's the person that's troubling you most right now? What's the issue that causes you trouble, that causes you challenge? What makes you stand up and point the finger at somebody else? There's the troubler. I have to confess that sometimes I do that to my wife. Let's be honest. Come on, if you're married. You know, oh, there's the trouble. Kathleen, you're the troubler. You're the one that's making trouble here. No, no. Kathleen's merely pointing out the idol that's in Bucky's heart. Bucky, Bucky has the idol of performance. Bucky has the idol of success. And sometimes Kathleen lovingly points that out. And all of a sudden, I want to take her down because she's the troubler. Who's the real troubler in your life? Is it the person that's pointing out the fact that you're trusting success more than God? 
That guy, that guy in the business place, man, look at him wasting my money. Look at that person. He's just a pain on my back. Look at that. Look at that trouble. Or maybe the trouble is the fact that you have the idol of success in your heart. Maybe the trouble is the fact that you love money more than God. And so when people touch your idol or people talk about your idol or circumstances bring up that idol, you get fighting mad. You get angry. You start judging. You start criticizing. And you point the finger at somebody else and there's three, three fingers pointing back, right back at your heart. Man, I love that God gave me a wife to prepare me for ministry because I need somebody to speak truth into my heart so I can see the idols, so I can humble myself, so I can confess to the true God, so when I get up here, hopefully I can give you something other than spiritual blindness and deceit. I thank God for men who've walked in my life. I thank God for the people that have become more successful than me, that I look at sometimes. There's the trouble. God, why are you blessing him more than me? I work just as hard as that person. And as I do that, I listen to myself and I go, oh my gosh, can I hear what I'm saying? God's blessing, I should be thankful that God's blessing that man and that church, and I should be thankful that he's showing me that I care more about myself than I do about him. (laughs) Thank God for the troublers in your life that speak the truth to you. Without that, you could be going off the cliff spiritually. You could be going off the cliff in your marriage. You could be going off the cliff. You see, the difference between Ahab and King David King David made a lot of mistakes, right? The first king of Israel. But King David was known as a man after God's heart. Why? Because when somebody came to him and spoke the truth, Nathan the prophet, just like Elijah, what did David do? He fell down and he said, oh, I'm I'm the chief sinner. I'm the worst sinner. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Oh, Lord, heal me. King David was not perfect. God's not asking us to be perfect. God's asking us to be open to the honest truth he wants to speak into our heart and to be thankful that he's sending people to us to show us that we're not alone. God cares about our heart. God cares about our life. He's willing to allow temporary trouble. He's willing to allow difficulty. So we'll look at the idols in our heart that keep us from him. This is what the blessing that Elijah was to Ahab, and he didn't even see it. And so the problem, you know, with this kind of trouble is that trouble is always an opportunity for us to turn and trust the true God, but Ahab did not. And Ahab had trouble because of the false idols in his life, the false gods. People in Orange County have trouble all the time because of the false God. I have trouble. If I buy into the lie of the false God, that is a lonely place to be because they can never deliver. Elijah said, I have not made the trouble for Israel. But you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commandments and followed the Baals. Elijah is pointing to the false gods in Ahab's heart. He has turned from intimacy with the true God, the covenant God that loved him and has called the nation to him, and he's turned to false idols. That's the problem. It's the idolatry in his heart. Idols are God replacements. God replacements in our lives. What do you look to for significance and security? What do you dream about all the time? What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your money on? Look at your calendar, and you'll see what's most important in your life. You'll see idols or intimacy with the true God. You'll have a chance to take an assessment. What are the things that cause me to think, 
to possess, to pursue, to dream about, to cry about, to worry about, and to get angry about. What is that? That's a clue to what might be an idol in your life. It's what you're looking for, for significance, security, and identity. It's what only the true God can provide and has provided for you through Jesus Christ. False gods can never fulfill that. Many times false gods are good things that we've made into God things. Money, power, success, sex. Things that God has given to us to bless us, but we've made them the ultimate things, and they only bring trouble to our life. They deceive us. They speak to us, but they always deceive us. They enslave us. We go back to them over and over again. Boy, if I just get that job this time, then I'll be happy. If we just get that house, if I just get the right boss, if I just get the right wife, if I just get it over and over again, we go to a well looking for life and it's not there. And so they enslave us and they ultimately destroy us. This is Ahab's life. It is written to us, so we'll choose a different path. So we'll choose to listen to the truth that Elijah has to speak. And the problem is, is when we are deceived, when you're deceived as a father, when you're deceived as a husband or a wife, when you're deceived as a leader, and you're looking at idols and you're pursuing idols, you're going to deceive others. You're going to influence people on the path to destruction versus life. God has given you influence. God has given each one of us leadership and our families with our children. And boy, we want to be pursuing the truth of God and not a false God. We don't want to sell lies to those around us. This is Ahab. That's the trouble with false gods. And Elijah says, guess what? It's time to make a decision. It's time to decide, Israel. It's time to decide, Ahab, who's going to be God? You, now you summon the people all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asheroth. These are the two false, main false gods and religions that have been brought into Israel. Bring your prophets who eat at Jezebel, your wife's table. That's a big table. She's providing the dole for 850 folks. Talk about big government there. She's paying for all these guys to say what she wants to hear from them. Bring them all out. So Ahab sent the word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went there before the people and said this, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, go all in with him. But stop wavering. The original word is limping. Stop limping between two opinions. Stop wavering between what you say is the true God and what you're going after the false God. And the people were dumbfounded. How long will you waver? How long will you wimp between two opinions? This is Ahab's problem. And this is the nation's problem out of his leadership. And that brings indecision, right? When you put one foot into money and one foot into God, you're, you're spiritually schizophrenic. You're running around back and forth. This, this, he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me a lot. You are schizophrenic. You're limping in your leadership. You're confusing your children. You're confusing the people that you say, I love God on the weekend, but I've served money during the week. It's confusing and it's conflicted misery. The nation is in conflicted misery. Who's the true God? Is it money? Is it my sex? Is it, is it what people say about me? Is that the God? I got to run after that God and make sure that God's happy so I get what I want? Is it my boss? 
You know, is it, is it power? Is it my position? Is it my success? Is it, is it winning? What's, and you just run around, and you're conflicted, and you're confused. And Elijah says, hey, man, the time is to decide. Quit limping between two opinions, right? If Jesus is God, man, serve him. Serve him with all your heart. If money is God, go after it, man. Go after money with all you got. Cheat for it. Steal for it. Get it at any cost. Throw your wife under the bus. Throw your kids under the bus. Get money and get as much as you can. If money is the ultimate thing, go after money. Right? But Elijah would say, don't come to a church and say, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to bow down to Jesus and love Jesus on Sunday and serve money during the week. That is a limping life. That is the life of, of deceit and confusion, Elijah. It's time to make a decision. Is it money or is it God? It's time to make a decision. Is it success? If success is God, go after it with all you've got. Get your success. Climb the ladder. Get the degree. You know, take people out to get that success. Do whatever you have to to get success. And make that your God and see what it gets you. But don't come to church and say, I love Jesus, I'm all in, and go out there and teach your kids that the only thing that matters in Orange County is your education and your money and your job. And, don't dis- and then don't disciple your kids. How many parents come to church, bring their kids to church and say, I love Jesus, and go out and say, here's what really matters. You better get that job, you better get that grades, you better get it going, man. And we don't disciple our kids. We don't tell them about Jesus. We don't care about their eternity. We just care about their success. Nothing wrong with success. But when you make it the ultimate thing and you're not willing to show your kids Jesus and teach them about his word and spend time with them, praying with them, and showing them a love of Jesus, how, what are they going to choose? They're choosing success. They're not choosing church. It's time to choose. Who are you going to serve? Which God is the true God? Elijah is bringing Israel to the decision point. You know what? Coming to church, coming to church is really a bad hobby. It really sucks. If this was my hobby, guys, I wouldn't be here either. The coffee's not as good as the coffee out there. The the talking is not as good as all the stuff you can see on YouTube and every movie that's out there. The fun's not as good as the sports, the kids' sports that we run after. The entertainment's not as good as football or anything else. This is a terrible place to be a hobby. Christianity is a terrible hobby. But if you love Jesus, this is the place you want to be. This is the only game in town. If you love Jesus, this is the place you want to serve. If you, if you love Jesus, this is the place that you want to be all in. You want to give your life. You want to go to Mexico and make a difference. You want to get in a small group and be transformed with a renewing of your mind. You want to give your money to something that lasts and generosity in these boxes around here? You want to be all in. If you love Jesus, the church is the place to be all in. Because this is the place that he said, this is my body. This is the place to be all in. But it's time to choose. No more one foot in the world and one foot into Jesus and we'll decide which is the best option. That doesn't work. That is a limping life. That is a wasted life. That is a broken life. And Elijah is calling the people to choose. Elijah's calling the people to choose. You see, some things in this life are worth committing to. 36 years of marriage this week with my wife, that was worth committing to. That was worth being all into. That was worth a life of everything I had. 
And that's my life with Jesus. I'm married to Jesus. He's worth everything I have. Not because it makes me worthy. None of that makes me worthy. He's made me worthy. But it's a response of love. This God who gave everything to me, who was all in for me, it's worthy of a commitment. And that's what Elijah's telling the people. And so it's time to make a decision. No more bull, right? No more bull. You know, you know what Baal's idol looks like? It's a bull. Baal's a bull, right? That's the idol. He's a bull. There's no more bull, I just says. Let's see who the true God is. I'm one, I'm one of the Lord's prophets. You got 850. Let's go one on 850. You got 850. Let's take two sacrifices. I'll, I'll take a sacrifice. You take a sacrifice. We'll cut up a bull. You'll pray to your God, Baal. And see if he answers. I'll pray to my God, Jehovah, and see if he answers. And the God who answers by fire, he's the true God. No more bull. Let's see who the true God is. And guess what? I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to give you first shot at this. Right? And so they put the two sacrifices together. And the prophets of Baal go first. But there's no bailout for these guys. There is no bailout for the prophets. I love this section. They took their bull, given to them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning to noon. Oh, Baal, oh, Baal, answer us. They shouted. Then they started dancing. And Elijah is just loving this. He's got his easy chair over there. He's got an umbrella up. You know, he's just sitting back with with the lemonade going, come on, where's your God? You know, he's starting to chide them because nothing's happening. There's no response. And they danced around the altar until they were exhausted. Elijah began to taunt them, shout louder. He must be awakened. Maybe he's sleeping, right? Uh, Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's in deep thought. Maybe he's contemplating what to do. Maybe he's gone on vacation. In the original language, this says, maybe he's even gone to the outhouse. Maybe he's relieving himself, right? Maybe he's got the fan on and he can't hear you guys yell a little louder, right? Elijah's taunting them because they've bought into a false god. There's going to be no response, a little holy sarcasm here, right? And so they start cutting themselves. They start giving their own blood. They're exhausted. They go from noon and after and they go all the way to the evening sacrifice and nothing happens. No one pays attention. There's no bailout for the prophets of Baal because false gods can never bail you out. This is a great truth you got to learn. False gods will only give you more burden. They will not bail you out. They'll just put more burden on your life. They're going to ask you to dance harder. Money? You want more? Just dance a little harder. Make more deals. Work a little harder. Just give a little, Just dance a little faster, and you'll get a little more money. Run a little harder, and you'll get a little more money. Money's going to ask you to give more, dance more, do more, exhaust yourself. Right? A false god is only going to put a burden and ask you for more. And if that doesn't work, it's, hey, cut yourself, man. Give me some blood, man. Cut your family, man. Cut your family out and work harder. Cut your wife out. She's not giving you enough sex. Go to a prostitute. Go to, go to porn and get sex from the side. Cut her out. Cut your marriage. Cut yourself. Cut your kids. Cut your boss. Cut your integrity by cheating and stealing. Just cut yourself and bleed. That's what a false God's going to ask you. It will never bring you life. It will only push you towards destruction. But God is calling us back to himself. And after these guys are done, Elijah says, okay, in a very simple way, he prepares an altar, puts 12 stones on that altar to remind them of their heritage. They're, They're part of the 12 tribes 
that they were called by God. They were chosen by God. God put them in the land. He prepares the altar. And just to make this a little more understanding that this is all about God and not about Elijah, he says, you know what? Let's build a trench and let's soak this altar three times. Just soak it. Soak it with water. You know, water is not a very good fire starter if you don't know. <laughs> right? So this is not about magic. This is about the majesty of God. He soaks the altar. He soaks the wood. And he stands up and just prays a simple prayer. He doesn't dance. He doesn't cut himself. He doesn't try to manipulate and control a false God. He just trusts in the true God and what he knows about the true God. That's what prayer is. Just trusting in God and who he is and what he's done. And so he prays. And guess what? The true God answers. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed this simple prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am in you, your servant, and have done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back to them again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, burned up the wood, the stones, sucked up the water, and everything, and it was all gone. And the people said, whoa, <laughs> whoa, boom, whoa. And they fell down and worshiped. And God wasn't just showing off. God was calling them back to himself because God cares about relationship with us. That's the reason he points out our idols. That's the reason he uses trouble to speak to us. He'll do whatever it takes to bring us back to himself and guess what they start saying? Elijah, 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 right? The Lord is God. They're saying his name back to him because God has proven himself to be the true God in Israel. And Elijah takes out the prophets of Baal. He says, let's go take that cancer out, kill those guys because there's only one God in Israel. And God wins the showdown and the people are called back. As the band comes up and we prepare our hearts for communion, just a few takeaways from this message today. Go back and read it in your Bibles, 1 Kings 18. Look at it again. But we're going to come and take communion. And communion is this great reminder, like the 12 stones, this great reminder that we are not alone. This great reminder about this incredible sacrifice that God consumed, right? This great reminder that God was with his people and was calling them back. He's the true God. And every time we take communion, Jesus said, I want you to remind you that you are not alone. That I am with you and I came for you and I gave myself. You are not alone. Our idols will always abandon us. This table says Jesus will never abandon us. This is my body and my blood. This is why I came to give myself for you so that we could be together. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Money will forsake you. Power will forsake you. Success will forsake you. Your, your, the bottle will forsake you. Your pill will forsake you. It will never give you life. Jesus will never forsake you. forsake you. He will never walk away. He's given everything for you. And he continues to be there. You are not alone. Even in the most darkest places, he's been there. He's faced it. He's taken it on. You are not alone. False prophets require performance, right? Dance a little harder. You don't have to dance for this table. You don't have to perform. This is a free meal, right? We know God through grace. This is a place of grace. We come to this table because it's a place where we find grace, where we receive that grace. 
where we know that God gave his body and blood so that we could be made whole. We come and receive this by faith. This is not a performance or a work. This is not dancing. This is receiving and responding. False gods want you to mutilate yourself, cut yourself, right? Hurt your family, hurt yourself. Jesus mutilated himself. God took on skin. He said, this is my body and my blood. He was crucified. He was nailed. They put a spear in his side. They whipped him and tore his back. He was forsaken. My God, my God. He took it on. He took on the fire of wrath so he could extend you the free grace of God. God's not asking you to be the sacrifice. He's the sacrifice. He gave it all to you so that you don't have to do anything to perform but to receive his love. False gods are ultimately powerless, but the true God answers by a miracle, right? Wouldn't you love it if God sent fire down just to consume the sacrifice so your kids would do what they're supposed to do? Hey, we're going to go out and see if your God's better than my God and call down the sack and the kids. Oh, well, I'm going to do whatever you want, mom and dad. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't that be great? But guess what? God has answered with a miracle because when we take this body and blood. Jesus says, it says you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back again. He's a living savior. He's not in the ground. He rose from the dead. He showed himself to people. The greatest miracle of all time is that Jesus defeated death and rose from the dead. And when we partake in this table, remember he's coming back. He's going to set things right. And we're going to be with him for eternity. He is in this meal. His spirit is here with us. He's present, the risen Lord. This is not a religious act. This is a relationship with the living God. And his Holy Spirit is here. God is answered by a miracle. And where is the fire now? The fire is inside us. The fire is in your belly. The fire is in your heart because the Holy Spirit now in the book of Acts as it came down on the disciples on their heads, the fire of God, the presence of God, it's in our hearts and in our minds now. And God, as we partake of this meal, we are stirred to be passionate towards the broken and the hurting. As we receive, we want to go and give out. We are called to our neighbors. We're called to our friends. And as we take the fire of God's love to the poor and needy and to the broken and to the hurting, and we share the gospel, it is the fire of God's love that transforms hearts. The fire is the passion of Jesus inside of us through the Holy Spirit. That's what we get filled with here as we worship. We surrender to him. We lay down our idols and we let him fill us with the intimacy of his love so that we go out and we make transformation. We're going to come to the table. I'm excited that God's going to meet us there. We don't serve a false God. This is no Baal here. This is Jesus Christ, his body and blood, and he is here for you. What is he calling you to lay down today? What's the idol that's been troubling your life? It's time, it's time to do business with God, man. Let's lay it down. Let's, money's not my God anymore. Power's success. I'm not going to serve it. I'm people-pleasing. I want to lay that stuff down. I want to proclaim, Jesus, that you're the true God. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life. Fill me with your passionate love and make me the person that you call me to be. That's what this table means to us. Let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for this meal. It reminds us that we're not alone. This is not an idol. (laughs) This is not a dead thing. This is a living thing because your spirit is here. This is grace. We receive your grace. We receive your mercy. Help us to lay down our idols 
Help us not to serve false gods. Help us to serve you as the true God. Change us in this meal as we remember what you gave for us. We respond with grace and thanksgiving. Fill us with your love in Jesus' name. Amen. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.